Hey, everyone, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you get an update as soon as the next episode is ready. And don't forget, you can listen to all seven episodes of Dear Franklin Jones ad-free right now on Stitcher Premium. Go to DearFranklinJones.com and use the promo code JONES for one month free. To answer the questions I have about Franklin Jones, the guru that my family followed, was eventually accused of being a cult leader. I know I have to do more than just read through old journals and talk to my parents. I have to talk to his followers, people I grew up with, people I haven't seen or even thought about in years. One of the people who knows the most about Jones is actually my dad's best friend. So I'm going to have cashew milk. There's almond milk or cashew milk. Oh, I'm thank you. I'm fine with just, uh, just okay. plain tea. And I'm going to take stevia, or I have honey if you want that. I'm, this is perfect. Just like okay. this is great. Thank you, though. This is James Steinberg. We meet at the group's bookstore in Northern California. James is in his 60s now and looks older than I remember. He's also the group's archivist, wrote multiple books about Jones and what he calls the guru-devotee relationship. James joined Jones's group when he was 18, and almost half a century later... Even with Jones gone, he's still devoted to Jones's teachings. There's pictures of him as an infant uh, where you see a very extraordinary kind of quality about him. Um, that picture, uh, here, I'll show you this one here. This picture here. I've seen this picture so many times. Jones is a baby, sitting cross-legged on a blanket, on a lawn. Hair is swiped to the side. His eyes are partially closed. At the age of two, decided to assume identification with an ego, walking, crawling along the floor. Then he saw a little puppy and he saw his parents and he saw that everyone's expecting him to be a particular way. So he said that he could do that. So he did that. And he became an ego and then he kind of grew up like an ordinary person and part of why he's been was able to teach so well is because he knew how we ticked because he had done that himself when i look at this picture now i can't see what james describes i just see a baby a normal baby i mean don't all little kids have a sense of wonder and curiosity that's like the definition of being a normal kid but as a follower of jones those seemingly ordinary details of his life become part of this extraordinary story, a creation myth. Everything about him was proof he was enlightened. And everything he did, no matter how much it might hurt, was supposed to be for our benefit, his followers. Give me your attention. At any moment, and you will receive this grace. I love this photo. This is the photo that grabbed me. She was loose, she was bright. He was very intelligent, and we had had some laughs. And little by little, we realized it was nonsense. But I snapped because I saw it. I mean, it was so radical in my mind. Oh, this is this. There is no teaching. But I'm not a me, you see. I literally am you. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. This is Dear Franklin Jones. I know the origin story of Franklin Jones, the way his group describes him. I've heard it countless times. But what was Jones like before he became the divine giver king? You know, like in elementary school, in college. So I go looking, which isn't easy. 
If he were still alive, Jones would be almost 80 now. And I reread Jones's autobiography, The Knee of Listening. Apparently he used the word knee kind of like base or foundation. Like I've said before, the guy liked to talk in circles. Anyway, Franklin Jones grew up on Long Island outside New York. His dad sold aluminum siding. His mom was a housewife. The family was Lutheran, attended mass on Sundays. There was also a younger sister, Joanne. I messaged her on Facebook. She declined to be recorded for this story, but Joanne did tell me that Jones was precocious as a kid, that he was into ventriloquism, had a dummy named Corky, and apparently Jones was pretty good. Joanne says he was once invited to perform with a famous ventriloquist, Paul Winchell. But I want to know more. So I get a copy of his old yearbook, start calling his classmates. Jones was in a ton of clubs. Varsity football, honor society, astronomy club, radio guild, the high wife fraternity, where he's the only one wearing a bow tie. A former fraternity brother tells me Jones, who he called Frank, was, quote, not run of the mill. But that's about it. A lot of people can't remember him. Some people even pull out their yearbooks, try to find him. After high school, Jones went to Columbia University in New York. This is him talking about it years later to his followers. By about the end of the first week or so, I was uh, no longer religious. (laughs) That was it for Christianity (laughs) and everything else. So, in some sense, I keep looking, searching for details that will help me understand how Jones went from a chubby kid barely anyone could remember to this mysterious figure with thousands of followers. But so many of the details of his early life seem so typical. White, middle-class family, some clubs, college. After college, Jones moves to California for a master's program at Stanford. There, he starts dating a woman named Nina Davis. Nina writes in Franklin Jones' official biography that she met Jones for the first day of grad school in 1961. When he looked at her, she says, she felt, quote, the most profound communication of feeling she had ever known. I tried to get in touch with Nina for this story. I knew her as a kid. She was soft-spoken, with long hair. She's still a member of the group and lives in California, but she never responded. For the next seven years, the two of them zigzag across the country. In his autobiography, Jones describes signing up for drug tests at the VA. He was given LSD and mescaline and psilocybin. He writes, During one of those sessions, I think perhaps I was on LSD, I felt a profound energy rising in me. It began at the base of my spine, and when it appeared in the heart, it generated an intense emotion that was overwhelmingly loving and full and yet intensely sorrowful. He's paid for the drug test, but otherwise doesn't really work. They live off Nina's salary as a teacher, Jones stays home and writes and drinks and smokes weed. It's during this period that Jones and Nina adopt a cat. A cat. No big deal, right? But this cat, Robert, is special, at least according to Jones. There's a picture of Robert the cat in Jones's autobiography. He's gray and black and sits on a picnic table. He looks a little wild. I guess. I mean, he's a cat. In the book, Jones says that Robert, Robert the cat, taught him how to live a wild life, how to have more than one partner, how to follow his primitive desires. Jones calls Robert his guru, his best friend, 
his mentor. When Robert dies, Jones has him cremated. Later, he dedicates a spot on the group's property to the cat, a place I'd grow up hearing about called Holy Cat Grotto. In 1964, Jones and Nina moved to New York. A couple times, Jones thinks he's found his path. At one point, he has his own guru, but nothing really sticks. Jones studies to be a Lutheran minister. For about a year, he tries Scientology, travels to India, then around Europe, seeking. Eventually, Jones and Nina settle in L.A. At that point, in the late 60s, L.A. is like the epicenter of alternative spirituality. There are New Age bookstores and ashrams opening up, Health food and vegetarianism are big. Jones starts hanging around and making friends with other seekers, guys like John Krajewski. I was uh, a dedicated yogi, doing yoga for hours. I was a, I was a uh, manic seeker, an extremist. Believe me, I was an extremist. Today, John works in photography. Back then, John was an artist. He illustrated psychedelic posters for local bands. He was also married with a kid. John says he was immediately fascinated by Jones. He was loose, he was bright, he was very intelligent, and we have had some laughs. Jones and John are the same age, and they start hanging out pretty often. Jones has regular get-togethers at his house in Laurel Canyon. It also fascinated me that he had two wives, or a wife and a girlfriend, who he, and he was living with both of the women, and he would, he would tell me how how he had to play both of the women, or else they'd get jealous with one another. Jones often uses Sanskrit words that John says go over his head. But they meditate together. They do yoga for hours. They become friends. Then one day, they're meditating, and suddenly John opens his eyes. And Jones opens his. And they start staring at each other. And John feels comforted, protected, loved. And he thinks... This guy must be my uh, guru. You know, he's revealing to me what my inner self uh, was. Yeah. This is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him, do what he says. That was it. I was, I was signed, sealed, and delivered. John falls so hard for this idea that he essentially abandons his family to follow Jones. Soon, his wife files for a divorce. I was terrible. Terrible. Took the children, the dog, the cat, the, everything living she took out of that house. So ashamed of it. It will be years before John looks back and starts to question Jones's motives. But right now, more people are joining Jones's group. They come to meditate and hear his talks, like Tanya Constantine. I love this photo. This is the photo that grabbed me. It's a photo on the cover of Jones's autobiography. Tanya found a copy of the book at a New Age bookstore and was attracted to Jones's picture. She couldn't afford to buy it, so she went back for days, sat on the floor, and read it. Wow, this must be meant to be. I'm going to go see this man. Tanya's dad was an American actor, Eddie Constantine. Her mom was French. Back then, Tanya had just moved to L.A. She'd recently gotten divorced and was raising her two young daughters alone. She says she was unhappy and lonely. No job, no money, no support. I wanted to uh, f find a community um, where I could, um, I could uh, be supported um, to, and get some help to raise my children. Tanya meets John. They start going to Jones's parties together. John and Tanya say all members were required to get full-time jobs and donate 10% of their salaries to the group. 
They say they did this gladly because they felt like they were part of something. They were starting a community together. Followers also had to abide by a strict vegetarian diet, exercise every morning, meditate twice a day. And at first, followers like John and Tanya, who were a couple now, aren't allowed to have sex until they get married. No sex outside of marriage. But just as quickly as Jones makes up these rules, he changes them. It create these situations, or you would do these things because it'd tell you to do them, and then it'd laugh at you and make fun of you. Jones explained his mercurial behavior by saying it was part of his teaching, that his followers shouldn't be attached to any one discipline. Instead, he decided what they did and when. From the moment I met John and Tanya at their home in Sonoma County, I felt like I was talking to an earlier version of my parents, Thomas and Kathleen. Spiritual seeking brought them together, and Jones was their guide. John and Tanya even talked a little bit like Thomas and Kathleen, but it also felt like the version of Jones that John and Tanya saw was not quite the one my parents met over a decade later. Because one day, John gets a phone call from another member. He says, come on, come on, we got to pick up I forget how much alcohol and beer. No, it wasn't beer. It was all hard whiskey. We picked up a couple cases. I said, what's this for? He says, I don't know. So they drive over to the ashram with all this whiskey, and they see Jones sitting in his underwear, drunk out of his mind, as John put it. Everybody was naked. Everyone was naked. And so, so, uh, so Franklin said, hi, Frenchie, take, take your clothes off. At one point, the police show up, John says. Some of the members have their kids there, and they hide them behind desks in another room. John says these parties could last for months. And it doesn't surprise him so much at first, because it's kind of like the parties hippies threw all over L.A. And exploring sexuality, it's supposed to be part of the teaching. But from the beginning, Tanya says she was a bit more concerned. She was a woman, and she had her two daughters with her. At one of the parties, for instance, all the adults had to have their pubic hair shaved. And Jones tells Tanya that she has to be the one to do the shaving. Uh, I was shocked. I was shocked because I thought, this is not spiritual. And uh, he was drunk, and everybody around was drunk. In some ways, it was like a fraternity, a club. And Tanya says she just wanted to belong. But she always felt like she was on the sidelines, one mistake away from not being invited to the next party. So she did what was asked of her. But the parties start getting crazier and crazier. And for Tanya, the shine starts to wear off. She's beginning to question why they're doing what they're doing. The group is growing. There are dozens of members now, and they're pulling in a lot of money. At the same time, Jones is increasingly removed from his congregation. At one point, John says followers are told they're no longer allowed to touch him. He was the the boss. He was the superstar. Jones often stirs up drama in the group, spreads rumors about people. Tanya says Jones told people that she was crazy. He gives a talk that, for followers at least, came to define this period. It's called The Garbage and the Goddess. (laughs) In the talk, Jones tells his followers they're too focused on what he, their guru, does. This is a recording of it. The guru gives you his garbage. And he expects you to throw it away, but you meditate on it. precious fucking experiences. (laughs) Philosophy. 
Jones mocks his followers and their idea of an enlightened life. Fasting, celibacy, renunciation, reading spiritual books, all of it is garbage. The wild parties continue, and John and Tanya are falling more and more in love. They decide to get married. The night before, Jones gathers everybody together to talk about relationships, or as he called them, the cult of pairs. So that, uh, and so in the evening, he's giving this talk about breaking down the cult of pairs, and and I asked him, well, you know, so so what's the point in getting married? And uh, so he laughed. He thought that was funny. Everybody laughed. So he went into this long talk about there's no need for it. There's absolutely no need to be free is, is, uh, is, is the point. And so you don't need to hold on to anything. You let go and you yield. Yield is the big, was the big word at that time. Tanya especially struggles with this. I mean, she's getting married the next day. And then one night, sometime later, it's hard for Tanya to remember exactly when, she says Jones announces he wants to sleep with as many people as he can. And, and uh, that night, um, Franklin was going from one, um, bringing in one woman at a time to have sex with him. And, um, and uh, so he was going from one to the other. It, it, uh, each one was uh, taking like about 20 minutes each. And, and there were about a dozen, uh, a dozen, 11, something like that. It's around two or three in the morning. At some point, John and Tanya lose each other at the party. And John starts to have this sneaking suspicion that Jones, his friend and guru, is going to sleep with his wife. And I, I ended up being the last one of the evening. He, uh, he, he came to get me, he took me by the hand and walked me into the bed and laid me on, on the bed. Tanya says there are a bunch of men standing around the bed, watching, smiling. And it went so fast that I don't know what happened. It was like over in a split second. He was, uh, he was completely self-centered. He actually didn't completely ignored me as if, um, as if uh, I, he didn't even know me. And, and so I, I got up and uh, put some, some, something back on, and he walked out with his dick dripping. Tanya says it was well known in the group that women who had sex with Jones had a higher status. Tanya wanted that status. But afterward, she says she just felt empty. Does she regret it? Yes. Was John hurt at the time? Yeah. They say it left a permanent scar on their relationship. Even now, it's hard for them to talk about it. And these events were the beginning of the end of John and Tanya's time with Jones. Tanya was the first to leave. For her, it was Jones's teachings that did it. Jones had asked her and another woman to translate his books into French, which they do. We'd translate it into French, and then we'd read it back to each other, and we'd say, what in the world does that mean? And little by little, we realized it was nonsense. At least, it appeared nonsense to us. But I snapped, because I saw it. I mean, it was so radical in my mind. Oh, this is, this, there is no teaching. It took John a little longer to get to this point, but he comes to the same conclusions as Tanya. 
By the time John and Tanya leave in 1978, they'd spent eight years with Jones. The two of them, though, they stayed together, tried to make sense of their time in the group, of why they followed Jones, and why others would continue to follow him. Much like you do in your life. So you build this story up of how you have this relationship with him, where there were moments that were intimate. There are moments that were really humorous, where you had a lot of laughs. And there are moments where you were hurt, degraded, put down. You have to let, letting that go is a good thing. Right. Yeah. I'm still working on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think my parents kind of felt the same way. You know, I think when they left, they were very, very upset. Um, they were with him for 17 years. Holy shit. They were? Yeah. How many years were you with him? About that, I mean 16. Oh my God. I didn't realize it was that wow. long. Yeah. So that's, I was raised in it. That's fucked oh. up. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh. oh my gosh. When John and Tanya said this to me, I saw pity in their faces. It felt terrible. I think a part of me hoped in exploring the life of Jones that not only would I be able to find answers to who Jones was at the beginning, before I or my parents met him, but that what I found would be positive. I had never heard these stories, but they remind me of a scandal that happened the year we joined. That's next time. Dear Franklin Jones is reported and produced by me, Jonathan Hirsch, along with Ashley Cleek and Annie Aviles. Our associate producer is Nora Lind. Our senior producer is John Asante. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelet. Special editorial guidance from Peter Clowney. Thanks to the great sound engineers Casey Holford and Eric Jorgensen. Original music by Ray Lynch. Dear Franklin Jones is a production of Stitcher. this week's episode of Dear Franklin Jones. Don't forget, all seven episodes are available now, only on Stitcher Premium. To sign up, go to dearfranklinjones.com and use the promo code JONES for one month free. Stitcher. You can think of household name episodes as lifelines when you're stuck in a boring conversation. Need to change the subject? Tell them the secrets behind Victoria's Secret. Or how a single lie turned KFC into a Japanese Christmas tradition. It was lie. But no. <laughs> I still regret that. Did you know Panera opened cafes where customers could pay whatever they wanted? That before it was a hippie car, the VW Beetle was created by Nazis. Hitler built a city for the Beetle? <laughs> like the hippie Beetle? You can talk about how LaCroix, Crocs, Carhartt, and Canada Goose all became surprisingly cool. 
and wow your friends with stories of TGI Friday's wild early days as one of the first singles bars. I'd be standing at the bar on Fridays and say, hi, darling, I own this place. That seemed to work. I'm Dan Bobkoff, and I host Household Name from Business Insider and Stitcher. We make this show so you have something to talk about. Subscribe to Household Name for surprising stories about famous brands. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Household Name, brands you know, stories you don't.